You know, I just realized that I did a whole episode on Splice, and Splice isn't really like a supernatural movie. It's it's definitely a, it's definitely sci-fi. You know, it's like genetic horror. No, genetic horror is like a disease. No, it's like you know, I guess sci-fi horror because it kind of turns into a monster movie, which which fits into like the thing that I do. Uh, but it's not really supernatural. But I did love ranting about it. So if you haven't listened to that one, I I would, I would definitely recommend that you listen to that. Um, I'd recommend that you see it. I, <laughs> I really would. But we're not here to talk about past mistakes. Okay, we are here to make some new mistakes. All right. This is Supernatural Movie Machine, where we talk about supernatural movies. I am your host, Sasha Keo. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. You can always drop by SashaKeo.com, which is my website. You will find much more content there, as well as updates to what I'm doing as an indie author. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening in. And today we are reviewing Creature Feature, Puka Lives, a.k.a. If Slenderman Was a Furby. So I've already done an episode and a blog on Puka, which is the original, because Puka Lives is a sequel. So to fully appreciate the self-awareness of Puka Lives, you have to watch Puka. Puka is a psychological horror with an emotional heart. Puka Lives is every internet commentator who bitched about how Puka wasn't a creature feature slasher film. Let me explain. Puka is a movie that's so good that it can cross genres. There's enough material left over from the first film that Hulu Originals looked it over and said, yeah, I guess we can take all those red herrings and make it into the slasher people want after all. Here's the official summary. A group of 30-something friends from high school create their own creepypasta about Puka for laughs, but are shocked when it becomes so viral on the internet that it actually manifests more murderous versions of the creature. Here's the metaphor. Puka Lives is about the toxicity of public commentary. While Puka is a sincere interpretation of the horror of the unpredictable nature of an abuser, Puka Lives is less so. Not to say it isn't sincere, only that the subject matter is lighter, the jokes are somewhat meta, and the puka is actually a monster. It's still a man in a suit the way a tabloid story can take on a life of its own, puppeteered by the masses, but it more clearly follows the lines of a traditional horror comedy creature feature. Puka Lives is made from the scraps of possibilities introduced in puka, morphed by the commentary of the internet. Puka Lives exists because of that commentary and becomes real and literal because it's what people wanted it to be in the Puka universe and our own. So here's what happens in Puka. Before I can tell you about Puka Lives, reviewing some of the red herrings from Puka is a necessity. So here we go. In Puka, the main character is an actor. He auditions for a role by practicing a monologue from Dickens' A Christmas Carol. But when he gets to the audition, he's abruptly cut off and made to perform a series of actions in rapid succession. Faster and faster. Hold your arms up. Now together like a triangle. Out like an offering. Fly like a plane. Hold your arms up. Together like a triangle. Out like an offering. Now fly like a plane. The talent agent hires the main character, telling him that he's the perfect guy to bring Puka to life. We're introduced to the not creepy at all puka suit and although the main character insists that he's an actor he agrees to the generous terms that comes with being the living mascot it's a dream the agent says and indeed it was 
this red herring is insanely effective because part of the tension with Puka is trying to figure out what the hell is going on. The Puka dance immediately puts you in the mind of a ritual, as if these motions are invoking the Puka, like Suspiria, but with a Furby. The second major red herring is the proliferation of pukas. It begins with a suit, but soon every child in the city has one. You'd think that would come into play, but the kids just dump them in the streets after the pukas go defective. The dolls don't do anything naughty because the literal puka isn't the point. Uh, spoiler, it's about an abuser coming to terms with the fact that he's a bad person and that his actions have far-reaching permanent consequences that are entirely his fault. So. What Puka Lives does is takes these red herrings and gives the audience the movie that Puka could have been. The attitude is very much, oh, you wanted a straight horror flick about a vengeful spirit and a creepy doll that comes to life and kills people? Not a well-crafted metaphor. Fine. Fine. Derek, uh, played by Malcolm Barrett, is our protagonist. He's a writer who's running away from a failed book. Not because the book was bad, but because the subjects of his book are social media influencers. The most obnoxious of them all, Jax the YouTuber, has sicked his mindless hordes of followers after Derek. The movie calls this him being cancelled, but I don't think they quite know what it means. It's a little of that boomer humor poking fun at cancel culture, but I'm under the impression that people are usually cancelled for doing and saying heinous things, not bragging on YouTubers the way boomers do. I could be wrong, I've never been cool. Uh, anyway, our writer hero goes all the way back to his hometown, known also as the birthplace of Puka, complete with the Puka corporate HQ. In this universe, Puka is as ubiquitous as Furby in the late 90s, except that its creator went a little nuts and murdered her husband with a pair of scissors and then set herself on fire when the company that owns Puka decided that they were going to alter her design. The hometown gang is there. The ex-girlfriend he left to pursue a career in New York, the friends who are now married with a kid, and the friend who doesn't realize how hot he is after losing a ton of weight. They each double their usefulness. The ex works at the Puka HQ where our failed writer now works as a copywriter. The married couple takes him in and their house is the hangout spot for the group. Also the wife is into the supernatural and her husband is a doofy regular guy cynic. The hot friend is a sheriff's deputy, gay as a side note and not a plot point which is great, and he was a first responder to the scene of the Puka creator's murder-suicide. They're all doing some heavy lifting here, which I love. No unnecessary characters, thank you very much. The side characters are more caricatures than actual people, but that's okay because it's a horror movie. We don't need to know the backstory of why the boss is a dick, or why the YouTuber is obnoxious, or why the Puka mascot acts like a spoiled brat. They're all one note, but it's the right note for each one. One thing though, I, I don't like that the babysitter died. She didn't deserve it. I like my slashers with at least a hint of you had it coming, which our main crew totally does, seeing as how they're the reason that the puka starts killing people. You see, our writer, Derek, is very hurt over the failure of his book and being driven back to his quaint podunk town by a YouTuber. He's also relentlessly harassed online by Jax's followers, and once they find out he's in town, they come after him IRL. Oh, oh wait, it's the babysitter that posts that he's in town. She's the reason Jax's followers know where he is, and then Jax orders them to harass him. Okay, got it. 
Guess she had it coming after all. Moving on. While Derek is reminiscing with his old pals, the topic of the Puka murder comes up. Our hot cop friend shows him a photo of the burned corpse. The crime happened only six months ago and weirds them all out a bit. The ex and Derek both resent their boss at Puka HQ and Derek thinks of a way to get back at the online influencer community by making them, making them do a really dumb challenge. Sure. Our woo-woo mommy definitely isn't down, but the group starts spitballing a spooky challenge to make viral. Of course, the puka dance has to be utilized, so they say it's how to summon the puka. You eat some ash, a, a nod to the fire set by the creator and meta as the original puka commercial shows puka kneeling in flames. Uh, you do the puka song and dance and add the lines, if you're naughty, he'll come for you, and boom, copy pasta ready. Pasta? Pasta. One anonymous post in Jax's comment section later, and almost overnight, hundreds of people have tried the puka challenge. Derek laments that the most popular thing he's ever written is anonymous because it's insanely popular. Puka HQ loves it. Free publicity, right? They even made their employees do it. Derek follows all of this news somewhat gleefully, even as the stories begin to change. Uh, forums are filling with reports of puka being seen outside of windows, tall, monstrous, clawed creatures that are there to judge them. A German man is accused of murdering his family, but he insists that it was a puka. Our first on-camera death is the satisfying end of Jax, live-streamed and everything. Gotta make that content, Jax. Gotta make that content. A puka doll in his closet transforms into a full-sized puka and slashes Jax, who dies screaming for his life. Fun! Ex-girlfriend is accosted by a similar mascot-sized puka at her car after she'd run out on a dinner with Derek because he was shit-talking their town. She'd accused him of secretly loving all the intention of being canceled, and he confirmed that he never wanted to be a nobody in a small town. The ex says that it wasn't that he left, it's that he cut all the ties with his real friends when he went off to chase his dream. There's something to this sentiment that's close to what Puka Lives is trying to say. Although it's not as metaphorical as the first Puka, all successful creature features have a meaning, and Puka Lives is reflecting on the toxicity of buying into online communities that dominate our daily lives with viral trash while we lose touch with our real life, homes, and friends. But Puka Lives is smart enough not to linger too long on this argument before having the ex hit the Puka with her car. It scrapes naughty into the paint. It had been carrying a large pair of scissors. Puka HQ has still been working on a redesign of Puka because they weren't going to let one murder-suicide stop them, were they? They are a business. Um, so this has all this staff working hard on the upcoming unveiling. Hundreds of Pukas are in boxes and stored away at and stored away at HQ, and so is the precious original Puka. The hype of Puka and the Puka challenge is real and only getting crazier. Even the writer decides that he's gonna do the Puka challenge, which, why? This has gotta be a comment on why people do these stupid challenges. There's no real reason. He just wants to see what the fuss is about. And also to confirm that Puka isn't actually coming after you in a murderous, judgmental rage. Probably the most dangerous way to confirm seeing as how he's in an office that literally has a puka at almost every desk, but okay, fine. Derek does the challenge, and no surprise here, the puka immediately comes after him. It's changed though, it's not the cuddly mascot, it's more animalistic, it's slender, weird, and more demonic than the original suit. 
The idea is that whenever people add to the puka copypasta myth, the puka morphs into whatever the most trending belief is. I like the idea, but for me, it's nowhere near as scary as the blank face of the OG puka when you didn't know what it was going to do unless its eyes were a certain color. Uh, these puka are exclusively red-eyed murder monsters, which kind of misses the whole point of puka's unpredictability. It would have been nice to see some good guy puka moments, only for the switch to flip and for the carnage to ensue, but that's just me. They didn't waste time with that though. The internet wanted scary puka, the copypasta is about scary puka, we get scary puka. So regular Joe Skeptic Dad and Mystic Mama go home to find their babysitter missing and their daughter claiming that someone's in her room. With some effort, they fight off a puka, rescue their daughter, and discover that the babysitter had been killed. Uh, then the gang gets together. They add up all the clues and come to terms with the fact that they're the reason everything is going to hell. A ticking clock is introduced in the form of hashtag puka apocalypse, a new addition to the online puka copypasta. It states that when the new puka is unveiled, all of the puka dolls will come to life and kill everyone on the planet. So our gang introduces their own silver bullet. Derek writes that if they set the original puka on fire, it will cancel the puka apocalypse. Derek, X, and Hot Cop try briefly to exercise the ghost of puka's creator from the place where she died, but that's a no-go. This conveniently gives the gang a chance to smartly ship the kid off screen to grandma's. The kid was the only weak character. She existed pretty much as a set piece to characterize her parents and to set up the babysitter and home attack. I know what I said earlier, but I literally forgot about her until this part. I appreciate that they didn't have her spouting an I learned something today line or being a victim that needs to be saved. She's out of the way the whole story and that's how I like most kids in movies. Uh, Hot Cop is hospitalized following the confrontation with a Puka at the creator's house. Just about out of options, the gang plans to break into Puka HQ, stall the unveiling, and destroy the original Puka doll. Hilariously enough, it was the CEO's idea to start hashtag Puka Apocalypse because nothing says corporate like a company horning their way into whatever the youth is up to, you know, to make money. I know the Puka copypasta is evil, but at least it was free. The CEO decided it was enough to monetize, so he upped the stakes so that everyone would be tuning into the unveiling by using what the kids love most, the promise of chaos and global destruction. It's like when that Pepsi commercial monetized civil unrest by implying that a taste of Pepsi could unite us all, except if Pepsi actually ended the world. The point is, the CEO's a douche. The married couple is tasked with finding the OG Puka doll while the ex and Derek cause a distraction. Uh, Derek is fired on the spot for not doing his job, which is fair. It's also my, my favorite joke, I think, in the whole movie where he just flatly is like, oh no, this was my dream job. If the great resignation is anything to judge it by, uh, a lot of people have that exact same level of enthusiasm for, for their jobs. So Derek goes to assist the couple. In the short span of a few minutes are my two favorite of many jokes in the movie. One, Mystic Mama has what she calls a spirit stick. She tells her husband that it wards off evil spirits. He asks her, isn't that cultural appropriation? She sincerely replies, is it? But then they move on quickly to the task at hand. I love the sincerity of this exchange because it touches on an actually complicated topic with a whip quick acknowledgement. There's a ton of discussion about white American witches doing what Americans do and taking bits and pieces of ritual practices and cultural beliefs and melding it into a loose practice of its own. It's a whole thing. 
believe me. But what Puka Lives didn't do was have either of the two black actors characters be the one with the knowledge of the supernatural. They didn't have a Mexican maid come in and lecture them all about the spirit of the Puka. They let an American white woman bring all the woo-woo and show a little thoughtful concern when asked if what she's doing is appropriation and then they move the fuck on. It's great. The second joke. Uh, the married couple is in the storage room with the pukas. Mystic Mama has the OG puka doll in hand when the door is thrown open. A puka stands there. Its eyes flash blue. Oh, thank God, they say. And a red-eyed puka immediately stabs that puka from behind and takes its place in the doorway. This one bit made me forgive them for excluding any nice pukas from the story. The puka attacks the couple until Derek arrives as backup. Setting it on fire didn't work. The copypasta had morphed once more. Fire wouldn't work because the husband wasn't killed by fire, he was stabbed. Reading this, Derek grabs one of the biggest pair of scissors that I've ever seen and rushes to help. When he gets there, he hands his phone to New Believer Dad so that the murder of the OG puka can be live streamed. The hashtag puka apocalypse is nigh. Also, Derek probably wants to be the center of attention, but it's not directly addressed. He and Puka battle, and the live stream is blowing up, but the dad says everyone's rooting for Puka. Again, toxic online culture at its best. No matter, the Puka is taken down with teamwork from the gang. Ex-girlfriend is there and helps to kick Puka's ass with a fire extinguisher. Hot Cop shows up and blasts the Puka before Derek gives it the final stab. But it, it still doesn't work. It's too out of hand. Maybe too many people wanted Puka to win. This is the end. The literal end of the movie. We then see Puka Lives' final form. In the last few seconds of the movie, and through the artwork and the credit scenes, Puka Lives becomes Ash vs. Evil Dead meets D&D. Each of your five playable characters features a signature weapon, distinct fighting class, awesome kick-ass puka-stopping action, and much more. Seriously, the story goes off the rails with a trajectory that's shooting for the stars. It lands perfectly. By the end of the movie, you're already rooting for this band of likable characters and the creators committed to the tone by saying, fuck it, full speed ahead. I want to see Puka Lives Again, Night of the Living Puka. The best possible follow-up has to be a zombie-esque, one night of chaos, off-the-walls horror comedy. They mentioned a grandma? Well, I want to see grandma with a shotgun blowing pukas away. I want the white witch of the Midwest to really get some magic going. I want Derek's stories to continue to come to life. For fun, uh, here's a breakdown of what I think the character classes are. You have Derek, the bard. He has the power of story. He may multi-class as a rogue, as his weapon is a short blade of scissors. Uh, then you have Mystic Mama, who's a druid. Her knowledge of the arcane involves crystals, salt, and herbs. Her weapon, a spirit stick. Then you have Dad, who's the barbarian slash warrior, because brute strength rules here. No brains, no magic. Weapon, mock. You have ex-girlfriend, who's clearly a ranger. She's a dexterous fighter with high intellect. Her weapon, a fire extinguisher. Then you have Hot Cop, the paladin. Lawful good by nature. Weapon, six shooter. So what do I think about Puka Lives? Puka Lives is one of the best sequels I've ever seen, even if it's a non sequitur. It excels as a horror comedy that accomplishes a tongue-in-cheek depth while hitting all of the beats of a classic supernatural slasher. It's as fun as a bad scary movie without being bad and would be a great watch with friends. Using a non-teen co-ed cast of fantastic actors 
cleverly captures the Gen X millennial overlap as we collectively are getting old enough to gripe about what the youth are up to while we worry about careers, kids, credibility, and aging out of being the most relevant generation. It's smarter than its surface would indicate, and I, for one, am pleasantly surprised. Well, that's a wrap, kids. So what do you think about Puka Lives, and how do you feel about how it contrasts with Puka? Because they're totally different movies that share so many core things. Um, I'm really interested to hear what people uh, say about it. I wonder if, did you, if you liked this one, did you hate the first one? Do you like them both? I like them both. Um, that's just me. So did you like one and hate the other? Did you have like weird expectations of this one because of the other? Um, I'm actually genuinely curious. So uh, drop by sashkio.com. You'll find this in my blogs under the review section. Um, feel free to drop by the first Puka post also. And then of course, explore the rest of sashakio.com because that is where I put my most recent work and what I'm up to as an indie author. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening in. You can always follow me on social media, follow me on my website, get in contact if you just wanna chat about movies or writing or supernatural or mythology or lore or whatever. Um, but until then, this is Supernatural Movie Machine. My name is Sasha Kyo. Thank you for tuning in and I will catch you later.